Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to give feedback on five of your teasers on this year's final Paper Team session. And then we will reveal our new 2020 Paper Team mentee. As a reminder, for those who don't know, our Paper Tease segment is where you, the listeners, send in the up to first eight pages of the teaser or cold open of your TV script. It can be any format, any genre, as long as it's the start of your TV pilot and it's a complete teaser or cold open. So that's what we're going to be reading today. And we begin the show with the slots that we have dedicated to our Patreon subscribers who are signed up there and they get a priority for having their teasers read out. So uh, we actually have two of them today and we're going to start with those. Yes. And uh, let's start with There Goes the Neighborhood by Tobias Tobel. And in There Goes the Neighborhood, we find Allison Ambrose, a landscaper, doing a photo shoot with the producer and crew while being interviewed for winning the Homes and Gardens Fresh Design Award. As she poses for her photos, she talks about seamlessly melding disparate landscape styles to reflect the owners, a contrasting multi-generational family. Then she seems a bit disgusted at herself for using such buzzwords. The producer thanks her and says the magazine will be out in six weeks. She rushes off to take a phone call from a loved one, knocking some lighting equipment in the process. The gaffer, who had been acting strangely earlier, is now enraged and picks up a light to try to kill Allie with it, but touches a live wire and electrocutes himself before hitting his head on a well and falling in. Allie sees all of this and gasps, Oh my god, I forgot to mention the ornamental grasses. (laughs) <laughs> what did you think of There Goes the Neighborhood? Uh, yeah, I think this is a fun setup for the show. Obviously, there's something more going on here than just this kind of like landscape designing thing. There's something going on with this crazy gaffer situation. I think that in regards to that, it could have been a little bit clearer what was happening. I know just from sort of reading the outline and the logline and everything that this is like a post-apocalyptic world and people get infected and things like that. And so like meta, I'm aware that that's probably what's happening here. But if I was just reading this teaser by itself with no context, I don't think I would have understood that. I think it seems like the gaffer is almost just angry that she knocked his lighting equipment and is going off the rails and trying to kill her because of that. Um, So I think (laughs) you kind of needed something there to highlight that he's become infected, whatever that is in this world, foaming at the mouth, eyes going white, you know, building up that sense of world and mythology to kind of explain that there's something going on here more than just this picturesque garden designer. Yeah, the exact same thoughts. Personally, I really like the situational comedy of it, the gag with the gaffer. And I really thought the sequence of event there was actually pretty fun. But like Nick mentioned, I was lacking context. Obviously, we had a pilot summary or an idea of what the show was about. But in terms of the teaser in and of itself, I was definitely lacking that sense of context, especially because, for example, in the pilot description of the log line, the writer mentions that, you know, there's a series of global incidents involving erratic and often violent behavior from random people, and that has been growing in the background of uh, some communities, including Ali's community. So presumably this gaff frustration is sort of another example of such odd behavior in that world. So I wanted a bit more context for that, uh, because as it stands, it's not really clear if it's a one-off thing or if it's like we're a gaffer trying to kill her because of what she did or if it's, you know, like a zombie type uh, virus or something like that. So in my mind, I feel like there's an opportunity, especially at the top, to set up the world and the context of it. You do want to preserve some of the humor of the whole uh, home and garden aspect, but you could do a version of, I mean, this is a terrible version of it, but uh, an example, like the bad version of it would be uh, using the news or people talking about how 
there's been these series of weird incidents uh, around town or something like that. So at least we have a setup for it. And then the punchline is the gaffer enacting on those. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think especially just because of the lack of reaction to what happened with this guy and his death at the end, especially from Allison. But even we don't have it pointed out that anyone else thinks that this is odd or strange. So it kind of suggests that this is maybe a, a common event that people aren't surprised by in this post-apocalyptic world. And so we really just do need that context to understand like... You know, I like the juxtaposition of it within the scene, but I think we need a broader picture of what's going on in this world. Like you said, even if it is just some little snippet about the news or whatever. Yeah, that's actually a good point. The fact that because she reacts so nonchalantly about the whole guy trying to murder her, and on top of that, we don't have any context for it, it really lessens that punchline because we, uh, I'm not going to say we're necessarily confused by it, but it's sort of like the joke is obviously she's reacting completely differently to what almost happened to her, which is fun. But because on the story level, you're trying to set up this world where these weird uh, oddball behaviors are happening, we don't necessarily feel like that's the world because if she reacts nonchalantly we sort of laugh about it but we don't really understand that oh this is actually not just a common occurrence but also a bizarre occurrence at the same time uh, so really that sense of context is much needed yeah i think other than that it was pretty well written and like you said that the whole game that's going on is quite fun but yeah i think it's really just lacking that context for me and on that note, what makes us want to read on versus not? Yeah, I think it's just uh, playing into kind of what we said before. Uh, this does really feel like a self-contained scene and it kind of uh, closes itself off and this guy dies and we don't really have any other threads that are pulling us into the rest of the story from here. Um, perhaps there could be something on that phone call that Allison is on with a loved one suggesting that she needs to get home right away because something's happening or just even knowing like what she's trying to do next. Like so far, all we really have is the context that she wants to like establish her landscape designing garden business and she's doing really well at it. Uh, and there's something a little bit awry going on in the world. But I think I just wanted a stronger hook into I need to sit down and read the rest of this story. Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything you said. I'll also mention for me, I mean, again, the, the context thing, I think, is something that we've uh, mentioned uh, before. But just to reiterate that aspect, if we don't understand why things are happening, we can appreciate sort of the sequence of events that is happening in front of us, but it doesn't necessarily make us want to read on beyond that, because especially if it's sort of that self-contained gag or sequence, it's a fun read, but it doesn't give us a sense of story or stake or anything bigger than the world that we're actually want to invest our time in. Um, so that, in my mind, it's, a, it's sort of like a big uh, potential issue. But at the same time, I do feel it is easily solvable uh, by setting things up earlier on or through dialogue or there's ways of uh, sort of seeding some of those elements of that world, that post-apocalyptic world or the virus or whatever version of that uh, exists in this world through the actions of the character, what they say and the pros as well. Uh, so those opportunities are definitely present. All right. And our next teaser is Hench by Kwame Lewis. Uh, in Hench, a serial killer named Maskface uh, is wielding two large cleavers and torturing two young adults, Tammy and Jordan, after already having killed one of their friends in a basement. Uh, as they engage in the typical killer victim banter, suddenly Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant booms from upstairs. Maskface is thrown off and heads upstairs to see what's going on. There, she meets Caleb and Jefferson, the henchman cleaning crew. Maskface hired them for two hours to clean up her mess, but they thought that she would be done by now. They have a back and forth about keeping the music down and how long it's going to take to clean the place, as well trying to upsell Maskface on various services like premium weapons and post-murder therapy slash coaching. Maskface tells them to clean what they can for now and keep it down while she's still working. Jefferson and Caleb take a break, eating a delicious snickerdoodle to relax while Maskface resumes her torture and killing in the basement. Um, what were your thoughts on this one, Alex? 
So I'm actually a bit torn because on one hand, I actually really liked this teaser. It reminded me a bit of a scary movie with that tongue-in-cheek uh, self-aware humor. Obviously, you have mask face akin to ghost face, uh, so the parallels are there. But conversely, just reading on the meta level, the logline again, the logline seems to describe a show about someone else who isn't really involved in this teaser, which made me question sort of what I was reading in the first place. It's akin to what we were just saying about the There Goes the Neighborhood teaser in, in a different way. But essentially, I really enjoyed the teaser. But knowing what the show seems to be about, I feel like the focus was not where it needed to be. Yeah, I agree on that. And I do wonder if maybe just the name of the character changed and it's meant to be Caleb or something like that. But yeah, I agree. I think it was a really fun little teaser. I love the satire. This is like totally up my alley. And I think you got some really good comedy and situation out of there. That said, I think there are a few areas where just on a kind of teaser level, it could improve. And then the big one, I think, is like you were saying, Alex, I wanted to get a better sense of the point of view character. I just assumed that it was probably Caleb. And so I wanted to kind of get an idea of you know, what it was he did before he came into being a henchman and just giving him a sort of a clearer personality and someone that we can kind of follow and relate to in all of this. Cause it's right now the main character seems to be mask face. And I don't think that that's going to be the, the true for the entire pilot. Yeah. I definitely have the same thought just uh, really on that idea of a better sense of story and stake. Obviously stake is a bit hit or miss uh, depending on, you know, the, the type of humor and tone that you want to go for, but at least on the story level, you could do a version of that teaser where we still start on mask face, but then for example, the cleaner who's the lead uses their vacuum cleaner and kind of crashes the scene of the crime. And you see that person now being the true lead of that horror victim and sequence as opposed to starting on mask face and then mask face being sort of the eyes into the cleaners especially again if the cleaners are supposed to be the lead and even if it is the case where you know the log line the the character name changed and so forth and uh it's one of the actual it's caleb for example who's the lead of the show either way i would still want some sort of punchline and better focus in terms of again the story why are we following those people obviously there's a lot of jokes there and the humor is definitely present but on a story and narrative level that's where i got a bit lost yeah for sure and then just sort of a minor scene work type thing i think that the back and forth between mask face and the cleaners could have just been a little bit punchier maybe giving them more of a, a conflict or a stronger kind of game back and forth there what does someone really want what are each of their goals in this scenario you know for mask face it's that she wants them to stop making so much noise so she can concentrate on killing but i think the cleaners were maybe a little bit too apathetic about the whole situation like i'd like to see at least one of them really insistent they need to get this cleaning done it's like well you know i really need to start bleaching or we're not going to be done in time can't you wait yeah but it's going to be another $39.99 for the premium wash, like really kind of leaning into that and getting into a situation where we're escalating and escalating this ridiculous kind of situation here and having them argue over something and finally give in or compromise. I think right now it was a little bit undersold and there's a lot of comedic potential in that scene. I like the ideas that you mentioned, especially if ultimately you collapse those scenes where you have from the get-go the cleaners essentially crashing the basement, I suppose, or at least sort of converging those two scenes so that you only have that one moment where we really see the cleaners reacting to the victims, reacting to Mask's face, reacting to the situation, and at least we get a better sense of the characters of how they're actually approaching the horror of it. And so that's another opportunity, like you mentioned, where it would actually give us a better sense of character and who they are as people and why we should be following these people and not other people. 
Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Maybe just having the cleaners, you know, the classic thing of like, so they've got headphones on and they just sort of open the door and come in and start mopping up blood while they're in the middle of the thing. And then, you know, you throw the characters right in there and having the victims react to the everything, I think is a really smart idea. So yeah, I think that'd be a really good way to kind of put it in there and give us a better sense of that POV. What makes us want to read on here versus not? Well, I mean, it's a lot of what we already said in terms of getting us a better sense of perspective of who this lead is. Is it one of the cleaners? Is it someone else who is not even in the scene? But even if we assume it is one of the two cleaners that we're watching, like Caleb, for example, basically using that character as our perspective, as our lens through this world, as opposed to mask face, or if you want to use mask face, at least collapse those scenes so we get a better sense of the story, the stakes, and the relationship, and how Caleb and those characters react to the in-world events. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I don't really have anything else to add. But yeah, overall, I think it's a really fun premise and uh, has a lot of potential. So as we mentioned, those were the paper teases for our Patreon supporters in the dedicated slot, uh, as this will be the last episode of this season of Paper Tease. Uh, unfortunately, you won't be able to continue to submit in those slots until we open it up again. However, if you are a Patreon or if you subscribe to our Patreon, you'll be able to follow even more closely the mentorship process with the mentee that we're going to be announcing uh, by the end of this episode. And you'll get exclusive updates and insights into that process even more so than what we're putting out on the regular podcast. And you can do that by going to paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N and follow along for the whole ride. Excellent. And our next teaser is Rift Jumpers by Jose David Hernand. And in Rift Jumpers, on Black Friday, shoppers line up in front of Walmart waiting to be let inside. A van rolls through the parking lot and a SWAT-like team falls out of it. But they are no ordinary SWAT police. The head of the team, Boris, investigates a broken wall and mentions that elves are inside the store, but a shield charm is keeping the team locked outside the store. Inside Walmart, Elisa, a petite brunette, also known as the Chosen One, battles several elf creatures. After a struggle, she successfully pins them down and, with a translator, asks them if they're a scouting party for someone called the Darkness. After getting her answer, she opens a portal with a silver orb and sends the elf creatures back where they came from, right as Black Friday shoppers lumber into the store like zombies. Elisa then gets into the van outside, where it is revealed that Boris is himself a demon creature, with him and and his SWAT team working with Alyssa. What did you think of Rift Jumpers? Yeah, I really liked this one. I thought that uh, it's a super fun premise and concept. It kind of reinvents a couple of things in ways that you're not expecting, like elves. And just overall, there was really good writing on the page with the visuals and the action. Yeah, I definitely agree. It was quite enjoyable for me. And I got heavy Buffy the Vampire Slayer's vibes uh, from that teaser, even calling Alyssa the chosen one with that tongue-in-cheek with a humor of those like supernatural forces being battled and outmatched by a petite woman. Uh, And obviously, I'm assuming the darkness is like the master from uh, season one of Buffy. So even though I actually enjoyed the teaser, I don't want to be too down on this. I will mention that the Buffy, the vampire slave formula has kind of been done a lot. So I kind of wanted a bit more specificity outside of the elf creature in the world, which I felt was really fresh. I wanted a bit more specificity in the teaser of it, uh, just to show us what makes this show different. Uh, And especially looking at the log or at least the description of what the show is supposed to be, it sounds like Elissa is meant to be working in conjunction with Boris and some new sorcerer character. Uh, so I'd rather want it to see a bit more of that dynamic play out in the teaser rather than just Elissa battling the elves by herself, even though I really like that sequence. I kind of wanted more context in terms of the Boris-Elissa of it, just to give us a better sense that this is unlike 
something like Buffy, where in Buffy, especially for the first full season, the whole purpose of that season was sort of putting the team together and getting them to work together. Whereas in Rift Jumpers, it seems like the team is already in place. Uh, and so in my mind, that is kind of the differentiator bet- between a Buffy-like show is Alyssa is obviously the chosen one, but there's this team dynamic that I wanted a bit more at play. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that it's a little bit of a missed opportunity to have this entire futuristic ninja-looking SWAT team and then just have them sit outside in a van while one person kind of does everything. I think you can kind of have your cake and eat it too there by having, you know, the team trying to break in and they're fighting off some elves in the, you know, the loading bay or whatever, but then they run into a shield thing and then the only one who can get through is Alyssa because she crawled through the vents or whatever. So then that way you get a sense of how they're working together as a team, but also the fact that she is the chosen one and ultimately she's going to be the one who kind of saves the day at the end and all that stuff. Yeah. I think that there's definitely elements in here of like the sci-fi, like rifts from other worlds that to me make it a little bit different from Buffy and interesting. And so maybe just leaning into that and giving us a better sense of these are creatures from other dimensions, you know, uh, whatever that happens to be uh, will help to really make it stand out. Yeah. And to your point about getting the SWAT team involved, I really feel like that's another way of really not just showing the difference, uh, you know, of uh, that show versus that other show, but also uh, within the world of giving us exposition organically, because as it stands, the dialogue I felt like was a bit expositionary in the context of uh, Boris, for example, describing that there's a, a charm spell uh, stopping them from entering the Walmart, when really that should be, in my mind, something that should be shown uh, actively at for example, like the SWAT team trust to enter the Walmart or something like that. And that would also help solve another sort of small bump I had, which was that I lost track of the other characters, especially when you start the show with the SWAT team and then you go to Alyssa's big action set piece and then you go back to the Black Friday shoppers entering the mall and then we go back to the van. Because of that huge set piece that takes a lot of energy in the teaser with Alyssa and the elf, which as it stands, is actually a really good set piece. I still got lost in terms of the characters in the sense of why are we introducing the SWAT team if we're not going to be using them at all in the teaser when, you know, in essence, it's essentially just a way to do that twist at the end where, oh, Boris is actually a demon and he works with Alyssa when I felt like you could still get that payoff by involving Boris with Alyssa throughout the teaser as opposed to sort of a bookending it. Yeah, I agree completely. Other than that, I thought the humor was good and I liked the shoppers coming in and, and seeing Alyssa standing there at this kind of bloodied elf and then all they care about is getting the discounted elf on a shelf because they're all kind of burnt and stuff. So that, that was really funny. Uh, did you have any micro notes on this one, Alex? It's just a couple. Like you said, I really like the humor. Uh, a lot of it is really well written. This is a really tiny thing on the the dialogue side. I, I felt like the cute lines were a bit repetitive in terms of the character's kind of talk the same, even repeating the same lines. So for example, there's a couple of times at least where you have a character looking at some Christmas paraphernalia and then saying, oh, if only. So both, I think, Styx and Alyssa basically say and act the same way in that capacity. So if you want to do the rule of three there, that's fine, but there was no third time. And conversely, if it's not a rule of three, then it just felt repetitive for no real reason. Kind of like the fact that everybody was saying all almost like several times during the, these are, these are again, micro, micro notes, but in the dialogue, it kind of looks odd when it's sort of very repetitive and it sort of makes you question if the characters speak the same or should be more distinguishable. And on that note, what makes us want to read on versus not? 
So I think this one is pretty much there in terms of getting me interested and making me want to read on. I think it's done a good job of kind of seeding in these ideas of the darkness and the chosen one and the they who are going to be annoyed at Alyssa for uh, doing all this kind of stuff. So, you know, to me, I think this is a good example of a good mystery. You know, we often talk about mystery versus confusion. And to me, I think that this does a good job of putting the mystery in there without it being confusing. Instead, I, I want to read on and know more. I'm not sitting around confused about who's who. I definitely agree. I really like the world that that is being built with the other side and these elves and this like interdimensional demon aspect. Personally, I kind of want it slightly more, especially looking at what the show is supposed to be so that it can differentiate itself outright from a show like Buffy in the context of as much as I love the chosen one narratives and so forth. What makes the show different is that team aspect, especially with Boris, especially involving that SWAT team, especially having those elements already existing in the teaser. Why not use them in the actual teaser, in the action, see them interact with Alyssa, maybe get uh, stonewalled by the charm, seeing a little bit more action there. So at least we still feel a bit of action and, and sort of carry through across the characters. You can even do like an intercut where we see the van arrive as someone is battling the elf and then we see the SWAT team file out as uh, they get stonewalled by the charm spell as we reveal that Alyssa is battling an elf and then we sort of get all those elements at once so at least it gives us a bit more of a momentum there and and builds us the connection between boris and Alyssa, even if they're not necessarily interacting so overall i really like the teaser it's not you know i don't want to be down on it by any means like nick said i really feel like the world a lot of those things are there including the good mystery the good world building all those elements i just wanted slightly more to really propel this teaser even further all right, and our next teaser is The Lot by Travis Brashears. In The Lot, in an office cubicle, Stu tries to sell a car to Tommy, but Tommy isn't here to purchase one. He's actually the new sales associate at this car dealership. Lana pulls Tommy away from the cubicle to guide him to the showroom. Uh, and their boss, SJ, couldn't be there this morning, so Lana is going to show Tommy the ropes. Lana seems to recognize Tommy from somewhere, but he brushes it aside. They get to the outside dealership lot, with Lana putting a name tag on Tommy and encouraging him to sell a car to this nearby couple. Tommy is surprisingly able to score a test drive from the couple on his first try. He eagerly hands over the keys to this new vehicle to the couple before proudly returning to Lana. She isn't happy as Tommy realizes his mistake too late, as the couple drives off the lot in the new car and he never even found out their names. Uh, what were your thoughts on the lot? So I thought overall, it was a bit of a long walk for a short drink of water. Uh, and by that, I mean that I feel like the, the situation, the comedy all there could be a bit more heightened, but overall, it was a bit marred by the length of the teaser for what we got. And conversely, I wanted much more personality from all the characters, especially the lead, Tommy, because we had the logline for this uh, teaser. And it did mention that he is sort of, sort of disgraced reality TV star who has to put his ego in check. But I was missing that edge that made Tommy seems like essentially an asshole when in the teaser, he felt a bit passive and happy-go-lucky, which didn't really gel with what I felt the teaser was trying to portray. Yeah, I agree. I think that Stu almost felt like more of that kind of alpha asshole character than, than Tommy. So if you're trying to really bring that out in our lead character, then you want to have characters that contrast with him rather than compete for that same space. I definitely agree on the length too. I, I sort of felt that it was kind of long for a teaser. Obviously it's a multicam, so the pages are going to take up more space. It's eight pages, it's double spaced words and that kind of thing. But even then, just in terms of the story in there, it didn't quite feel like a teaser to me. It just felt like the start of act one. This wasn't really like a 
a tight, self-contained kind of punchy, here's a joke and now we're into the story kind of thing. And I think that multicams especially really, really need those strong buttons and beats. And it, like you said, it just took us a little bit too long to get to the joke of uh, they drive off and steal the first car that he shows to people. Yeah. And to that exact idea, it kind of made me question why this teaser was a multicam in the first place, because perhaps part of it is because the content wasn't constrained enough. But on the other hand, even on the on the humor and the story level, it didn't necessarily feel like this would be a multicam necessarily as opposed to, it could have been a single cam. There was nothing that justified it in terms of the format for me. Yeah, and the only thing I can think is just if it's all going to be taking place in this car dealership, that's an easy location, but then you end up with these like car stunts and stuff of someone needing to drive out into the street. So at the very least, it's going to have to be a hybrid or have more outside shoes than your typical multicam. So again, like you said, maybe just evaluating whether this needs to be a multicam, if that's the best format for it, where we're going to be living in each of these scenes, all of that kind of thing. Uh, the other thing that I really wanted to note here was that in the kind of log line summary that we have, it mentions that uh, Tommy is this disgraced reality star who has to take a job uh, selling cars at a used car dealership. But none of that really comes through. There was that one brief moment where it seems like maybe Lana recognizes him from somewhere. But other than that, we really didn't get a sense of, oh, my God, this is, you know, so-and-so from Big Brother or Survivor or whatever who now has to show cars. And I think that, you know, especially in a cold open, you really need to utilize that and lean into it and have the people who he's showing the car to recognize him and make a big deal out of that. And he's trying to hide it and that kind of thing. I think that really needs to be part of the game to help sell the concept of the show. And your idea actually is really strong because essentially Tommy's able to score the sale of the test drive so easily because of his charm. And it really doubles down on the fact that he's sort of this cocky asshole who uh, uses his celebrity to sell cars and then he's so proud of himself when he goes back to Lana basically saying hey I got this test drive in five seconds I'm, I'm an awesome person and then Lana can just look at him and glances over at the car who's being driven off the lot and essentially stolen and, and that way you can actually emphasize the contrast of here's this reality TV star who's an asshole, or maybe he wants to hide that. Either way, you can play it either way, but at least it shows better, uh, a bit more personality, uh, both in the sense of uh, who Tommy is, but also Lana, and it would add to the story of it. Other than that, I felt that, you know, the jokes are pretty strong. I enjoyed the humor. Um, so, you know, there are some really good things going for it too, but uh, really just focusing in on the concept itself and making sure that's coming through and making it as tight as possible, I think is important. Uh, did you have any micro notes on the script? So I had a couple of micro notes. Uh, one, uh, in terms of the slug lines, uh, I kind of wanted uh, logistically for it to be clearer that we're moving from a cubicle to the showroom and just uh, at least it helps break things up, especially in the read because there's a lot of sort of those blocks of prose and the granularity of shots was a bit uh, overbearing for me. A couple of other notes. One, the character names capitalized in the dialogue was a bit odd for me. Like Rhonda, I think it's capitalized multiple times in the dialogue after she's introduced. And also there's a typo, I think on page seven, where Lana crosses her arms. It should be uh, crosses, not uh, courses. And lastly, I, I will mention that Lana's uh, description felt on the best of times a trope uh, because she's described as uh, attractive in that 90s movie, nerdy girl uh, who's clearly hot, but for some reason, no one realizes it until she lets her hair down and takes off her glasses. Now I realize this is a multicam and it's a bit tongue in cheek, but as a reader, it's still off-putting to still read the same sort of description uh, for the same female characters over and over again. So even though it is tongue-in-cheek, I feel like the nuances there, especially in the multicam, may be lost uh, in the prose. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that if you're going to use that trope, you need to actively subvert it or do something slightly different with it or just be very self-aware about it in some kind of way where you call it out in a joke or hang a lantern on it uh, outside of just kind of, you know, mentioning it in the description. Yeah, I had a little micro note as well. I thought that the parentheticals got a little bit bloated. Uh, We'd have entire kind of sentences uh, within a parenthetical before a line, like with a voice raised two octaves and dropping the cool pretense or continuing ignoring Tommy's correction. I think every now and then you can get away with a longish parenthetical it's really important to understanding what's going on, but having multiple ones like that where that are just kind of, you know, one or two lines worth of description in a parenthetical on the same page uh, gets a little bit much for me. What makes this one a read on with this one versus not? Uh, well, so like we said, if the teaser were to be a bit more constrained and punchy and really get to the meat of who Tommy is as a character, it would really sell what the show is, especially in terms of Uh, ramping up the fact that he is a disgraced reality tv star he has that ego he gets to score a sale and then ultimately that sale is actually someone stealing a car in this example and really ramping that up in a few pages as opposed to eight pages uh, keeping it tight and punchy would really service a lot of the show yeah, I agree on those points. I think it's really about, you know, especially with multicams, it's important to have a real hook to it because sometimes it really is just here's another family or, you know, here's another guy trying to get his life together or whatever. So uh, I think people really want to see like what makes this interesting and unique. And I think that the premise of this washed up reality star becoming a car salesman is interesting and unique. But, you know, you need to lean into that in the opener and uh, really infuse that with his character so that we get a sense of, oh, this is what the show is going to be like every single time. All right, and our last teaser is America's Strangest Syndromes by Annalise Eisenstadt. And in America's Strangest Syndromes, we meet Olive, a young woman who believes she is a bird after being taken off the street from homelessness and groomed by a somewhat predatory and delusional older man, Bradley, who believes he is a duck. Olive describes how he, quote, saved her and how she now needs to give back by having his child in order to save his endangered duck species. We see her seemingly trying to push out a child slash egg only to fart loudly and Bradley sighs disappointed. Bradley later talks to his father, a random duck at a pond, when the duck is suddenly attacked by a cat. A producer yells, cut! But the director insists that they keep rolling as this is great TV. It seems as if they are on a reality TV show. In the next scene, Bradley mourns the death of his father, the duck, and gives Olive an ultimatum. Provide him with a child before the breeding season ends in the next 24 hours or they are through. What did you think of America's Strangest Syndromes? Yeah, so there's a lot going on here. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really fun, interesting, different premise. I mean, I've certainly never seen something like this before. For me, I was a little confused about this kind of show within a show format. It seemed like so much of the emphasis was on the story of olive and bradley and their their kind of duck situation and there really wasn't a lot of attention called to the fact that there's this crew shooting it aside from that one little moment where they kind of call cut and so for me i really wasn't sure if like this was truthfully a story where we're staying with olive and bradley the whole time and there just happens to be a crew involved as part of this episode premise or if the entire show was you know about a different strange syndrome every week or whatever like again it's a matter of like point of view i wasn't sure whose point of view this was it's an olive show is it bradley's show is it the producer's show that kind of thing so that kind of threw me off just a little bit yeah i had the same sort of uh, confusion i think that stems from the whiplash of going from you know olive's perspective to this director slash reality tv show perspective to then back again to bradley's perspective at the end so there's a bit of whiplash there where we go back and forth between perspectives and we're not quite sure what 
show are we watching? Are we watching uh, Olive's sort of a documentary type show? Are we watching a show about a show? Are we watching a really Bradley story? So there's a lot there to digest on a sort of like a meta level in terms of what, you know, the, the format of the show, but also narratively speaking, kind of, I feel like it, it can be either or. Uh, and now we've seen, I feel like throughout Paper Tease, multiple examples of sort of a show within a show where we start off with one kind of narrative and then the reveal is actually this is, you know, a documentary or a podcast or a reality TV show or something like that. So I feel like my advice there is always kind of the same. And that is to just give us better context and really pick and choose your battles in terms of what the show really is about. Because on one end, uh, given the content, especially of Olive and Bradley, it's so unique. It's so distinctive. It's something that I've never seen before, uh, at least on a scripted show, that in of itself, it could service as a show. It could be sort of the, you know, the really disturbing, messed up version of Pushing Daisies or something like that, where we think it's some, you know, lovey-dovey sort of a fairy tale thing. But like, if you really look at it, basically it's an older man grooming a, a younger woman. And it's sort of this weird, like Kimmy Schmidt-esque thing where you're making a horrible situation to be quirky, but it's actually kind of disturbing. So there's a lot there already. Uh, and so I really feel like the reality TV show aspect almost undermines the richness that you could service with the Olive Bradley of it. On that note, it kind of makes me question the longevity of the show, because if that's the trope is, uh, you know, the title of the show is America's Strangest Syndromes, as in plural. So I'm wondering now if the show is really going to be about sort of like a different syndrome every week or something like that, where the punchiness of the narrative of Olive Bradley is so strong that I kind of wanted more of that as its own show. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. And I think that from what I can see in the the outline and everything, this is basically a episode of the week type thing about a different crazy syndrome. And I think that that honestly probably does work better long term, because, you know, as interesting as a story as this is, I don't think we're really going to want to follow these weird people in this messed up situation uh, <laughs> over 100 episodes kind of thing. So I think that, you know, the format of a new syndrome every week is actually quite interesting. But in order to make that work, you really need to understand whose show it is. And it's probably the producer or the director or whatever, inserting themselves into these new strange situations every single week in the same way as like uh, the show Unreal. Uh, you know, we're following this story producer who's trying to kind of like make it work their way up in this thing. So I think that has a lot of potential, but I'm not seeing that yet in this teaser. It really feels more like this is just the Bradley and Olive show and there happens to be a crew there. You know, you really want to lean into that mockumentary format and make it clear from the beginning. I think that that whole trope of like, surprise, it was a reality TV show isn't as effective as people think it is, or it's a little bit overworn at this point. And I'd honestly rather know from the start where we start on a talking head and a producer is asking some questions to Bradley or Olive or whatever, and we get a sense of this is the producer's show. Right. And that is to me what I meant by pick and choose, because uh, if we look at sort of the added document, the pilot log line is about the Olive and Bradley show, but the series log line is about this mockumentary hybrid series about documentarians. And so those two things are not the same thing. And I compare it more, Unreal, I still feel is still following the same narrative. I compare it uh, more to something like in treatment, where you have that through line of the therapist that is across multiple episodes and shows and so forth, but every episode or every week, uh, or rather every day of the week is a different character. And so they're the focus of that character, but on a micro level, it's sort of like an anthology series. So to your point, I feel like if you are going to do this mockumentary anthology type show, 
the format of it needs to be very clear to begin with. Uh, the bad version is, you know, something like The Outer Limits or The Twilight Zone uh, in the context of, I'm not saying those shows are bad, but the bad version would be essentially bookending the teaser to really give us a sense of a narrator describing that this is episode one or whatever, uh, or just giving us a better sense of uh, the format of the show so that we understand from the get-go, from the teaser, that this is an anthology show with the format of a documentary, with the format of these people that we're following. Maybe the director is our through line because we need to get a sense of why are we following week after week after week these people, and we will not be following Olive and Bradley week after week. So why are we investing emotionally all this time if uh, for these people that are going to be gone by the end of the pilot. Um, so that's another thing to think about is sort of the focus of the show, especially if the focus of the show is on this couple that isn't going to live past the first episode to still give us enough meat with the other characters, especially the documentarians, uh, like uh, Nick mentioned, the unreal uh, characters. They're still the leads of that pilot. The leads of the pilot are now the bachelor type characters. Uh, you know, it's producers are the leads. Whereas in this pilot, in this teaser, it really seems like Olive and Bradley are the lead, which really short changes what the concept of the show really is yeah i think the the simple way is yeah actually putting up the title card of america's strangest syndromes or whatever and like you said doing the intro of that show kind of thing whether that comes at the end or the start or whatever but just making that format clear did you have any micro notes yeah, I just had one little thing early in the teaser. You talk about Olive is like flapping her wings and then it says that Bradley clips her wings and it's just like wings in quotation marks, but it never actually explains what they mean by wings. Are these like cardboard wings with feathers glued on that they've kind of wearing on their back or is he clipping her actual arms or something? So I thought that that was a little bit confusing to me and I wanted to just get a visual sense of what we're talking about and what's representing those wings. And on that note, what makes us want to read on versus not? Again, I think it comes down to the format. I think it's understanding this is a mockumentary week to week show that's looking at these interesting different syndromes. And then, you know, understanding that we're going to follow this one contained narrative over the thing. I think at that point, I'm ready to buy in and be like, all right, cool, let's check out this crazy bird people episode. But if it really is the other way around and we're just kind of confused about what's going on or whose show this is, it's a lot harder to kind of buy into wanting to read the rest of the episode. For me, it really comes down to choosing the point of view of the show, because if you are doing this anthology type uh, series where every episode is going to be a different uh, syndrome, then we really need to get a better sense of who are the people we're going to be following week after week? Why are we investing our time in this scripted show with this format? And presumably, for example, the director is going to be the recurring motif, the producer, someone like that. So we actually get a better sense and the teaser, I write that this is the format of the show. The format of the show is every episode, it's going to be a different syndrome in the same way that in treatment, every episode, it's going to be a different patient, but we still get the through line of the therapist or the producer or something to give us an idea that this is what the show is about on a format level. And then we can really sink into who this week we're really focusing our eyes on. And that is a wrap on Paper Tees for this year, but we have some breaking news to announce. We have a winner, or rather a new 2020 Paper Tees mentee to announce, and that new mentee for this year is Ben Warner, uh, who is a writer of the, the teaser Strange California, which you might remember as the one we described as Cowboys vs. Dragons back on PT-173. Uh, that was our Clash of the Titans uh, Paper Tees. 
Yeah, that's right. It was a really tough competition this year. We uh, scoured over a lot of the teasers and reviewed a lot of things, but we uh, ended up deciding on Ben, and we're really excited to work with him. We loved his voice as a writer, uh, his world building, and his original take on mythology and genre. So uh, we're looking forward to helping shepherd his new project from concept through to final draft live on air with all of you. And uh, we will be developing this uh, pilot with him, this brand new pilot, in our first mentorship episode, which will be actually next week. Next episode is uh, the brand new uh, 2020 mentorship with Ben. So we are really excited to follow this uh, journey. Yeah. So make sure you tune in then to check out what Ben's new pilot is going to be. And we'll be trying to keep this process interesting and interactive for all of our listeners. So you can kind of chime in and give your thoughts on uh, each stage of the process. And before we go, don't forget that we are on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get access to our Paper Patron podcast, our cheat sheets, and the exclusive Paper Team mentorship updates just for our Patreon supporters. So get on it at paperteam.co slash Patreon, and we can keep producing a great show for you every week. And of course, thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes and the teasers from this episode at paperteam.co slash 189. As always, I'm on Twitter at tvcalling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Well, as we mentioned, that will be our first episode with Ben, uh, hearing his pitch for a concept for a new pilot and uh, us giving some feedback on that and uh, helping hone it into shape. So tune in then. See you next week. See you then.